lights. What a look, the arena. Well, we are here in the last week of our series, our summer series here called The Arena, where we've been looking at the concept of faith uh, as seen in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, we taught you a definition way back. We've been bringing it up every week. I want to do it one more time. I want you to read it out loud with me. Make sure it's really firm and in your head and in your heart. So let's read this together, what faith is. Faith is being sure that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he has said he will do. Have that memorized yet? Pretty, pretty simple. We want it to be simple, but it's true and it's right there. Now, each week we've been looking at Hebrews 1 and either one, two, or three characters, Bible characters who are known for their great faith that are listed there. And we've learned really great lessons as we've looked at each one of their lives. You know, their victories and their struggles, sorrows and pains, and, you know, their exercise of, pay, of faith really that brought them the fame of even being mentioned here in this great faith chapter of the Bible. We've looked at characters like Abel and Enoch and uh, Noah, Abraham, a- Isaac, Jacob. Joseph, Moses, big names, right? Now, last week we looked at Joshua and Rahab, two very different people, but both, uh, both of them exercised their faith by taking courageous risks in the Lord. Now, you may say, that's great, Pastor John, you know, big name men and women, trusting God. It's great hearing about all these wonderful heroes of faith, but, and honestly, I've learned, you know, I've learned from them over the summer, but I want to be honest. How often do I really feel like a Moses or a Noah or an Abraham, right? I mean, how many of you, you know, when you start thinking about how big and great they are, not too often, really, to be honest. Who am I and what have I, you know, and the things that I've done in my life, those things are too big of a barrier, too big of a barrier in my life. And, and I can't even think that I might become even half of what one of these guys were, these big name guys, you know. Who am I to think that I would even even enter that same arena of faith, let alone get listed there in a big-time way, you know, that, that arena of faith that God is referring to here in Hebrews 11. Well, I want to answer that question today at the very beginning of my talk by telling you really right up front the main point of the talk this morning of our entire time together. Our time in Hebrews 11 today will make this point many times, but I want to hit you with it right up front so we know where we're starting, what we're dealing with, and really where we're going. This is in your outline, and here you go. Today's main point is this. I can have faith that God will use me no matter who I am or what I've done. No matter who you are, God will use you. He will work in and through you. uh, And and just, if you just put what little faith you have in him. And no matter what you've done, it doesn't disqualify you. Did you hear that? It does not disqualify you. God is ready to use you, to work in and through you as you put that tiny bit of faith that you can generate, even if it's tiny, if you put that in him. Now, I want to look at that verse that Pastor Bobby read for us a few minutes ago here in the, earlier in the service because it spells this idea out perfectly. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 says this, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power oh, is from God, not from ourselves. And you have this picture of the, of the writer here of Corinthians, of Paul saying, hey, look at me. <laughs> well, really don't, because I'm this simple kind of homely clay pot, kind of frail, kind of fragile, nothing real fancy to look at. In fact, you'd overlook me every time. But it's not us. It's what's inside. And the great treasure is what's inside, and that's what makes it a big deal. So it really isn't about who I am or what I've done. It's the power, and, and it's the majesty, and it's the glory of what God has put inside of us. You see, if you've made a decision to follow, become a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've asked for his forgiveness and your leadership in your life at some point, then you hold that great treasure inside of you, and that's what gives you your value. You see, it's not you at all. It's him. So you can have faith that God will use you no matter who you are or what you've done, because it's not about you. You're just a clay pot, you know? 
maybe a little bit of a crackpot, you know? Honestly, it's about him and his power. Now, we're going to read several verses here in Hebrews 11 that will introduce the characters that we're going to look at today. Characters that were noted for their faith, but, but I want you to catch this. These were also characters who had serious weaknesses that God had to overcome. They had faith, but they had some big-time flaws, and I want you to catch this. In spite of their flaws, God did it, and he worked. Why? Because here we go, because you can have faith that God will use you no matter who you are and what you've done. Hebrews 11, starting at verse 32, and you can follow along with me. I'll read it out loud for you. The writer is, after, after writing about Abraham and Moses and Joseph and all these people, and he's gone on, and he's told the stories, and he's, he's kind of winding down this very long chapter. He's saying, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of, you can see he's just brimming over. I've got so much more I want to say, but I'm running out of time. The stories of the faith of, of Gideon and Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice, and they received what God had promised them. Uh, they did things like shut the mouths of lions and quench the flames of fire and escape death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and they put whole armies to flight. Now the writer of Hebrews begins his final section by saying, and I've talked a lot about the heroes of faith up until now and I have so much more to say, but I don't have any time. I wish I could expand more on these people and the stories of faith because they're all so good. But I guess I got to stop somewhere, right? And I'm running out of ink in my pen or however that works. So, so what he does do is he lists a few more names and a few more accounts, and it actually starts getting kind of long. Uh, but these accounts of faith, and today what I want to do, because we have limited time, is we're just going to look at the first four names in his list. We're going to look at those first four names, and we'll see exactly what I told you about a few minutes ago. All four of these people are listed in the book of Judges, so it's kind of a nice recurring theme. And the other thing that you're going to see is what we've talked about here. All four of these people had some major flaws, although this is the context. They're listed in this great faith chapter. Heroes of faith. Abraham, Noah, Mo- wow, these. And yet here's these guys listed here that had major faith, and yet they had some significant flaws. Okay. And this is going to help. God wants us to recognize the fact that I can have faith that God will use me no matter who I am or what I've done. You heard that a few times. I want to get that you to get that this morning. And grab your outline again as we go through. Well, I can trust that God will use me, number one, even if I'm fearful. Even if I battle fear, if I'm a person who's very afraid. The issue here is fear, of course, and we, and we see in Hebrews 11, the first name that we bump into is Gideon. You can fill in the blank there, Gideon, whose story is found in Judges 6, 7, and 8. Now, I'm not going to read every verse of all these chapters. We would be out of time if I did that. I just want to hit some of the highlights so you can understand what the writer's thinking about here. Some of you may know these characters well. Some of you are like, I don't know any of these guys. John, I've never barely read the Bible. I'm going to give you the highlights, okay, here. We're going to look at Gideon, and I'll give you the brief story. Now, at this time in history, what was happening with Israel, in fact, through the whole book of Judges, that they'd follow God for a little while, and they'd say, I want to do things my way. So they'd turn their back on God, and God would say, oh, hello. And so then he'd allow some enemies to come in and kind of persecute him for a while until they'd finally say, God, help. God says, sure, I'll help you. And then he helps them, and then they go, thanks, God. And then they start doing their own thing after a while, and you get the cycle. None of us are like that, are they? Are we? turn to God only when you're in trouble? Right, I know. So this particular time, it's the Midianites. We get some ites through this passage. And now, so Gideon lives at the time where the Midianites have been coming in. And every time the Israelites plant their crops and get things going, the Midianites descend. They come in and they just ruin the land. They take the crops from them and then they leave. 
And then here Israel is trying to just survive and struggle. So they're taken to living up in the hills. You know, their cattle are being stolen and slaughtered. Their crops are being taken. And so that kind of sets for the last bunch of years this has been going on. So here's Gideon now that appears on the scene. Now I want you to see Gideon as a mighty warrior. Well, no, I don't. I want to paint a true picture of what Gideon is. Gideon is threshing wheat, which typically you want to do out in an open area, but he's so afraid of being seen and captured or caught or stolen that he's doing it inside of a wine press. Okay, it's kind of a closed picture, big, maybe picture a big bowl or something. He's inside in here. It doesn't really work real well, but at least they're not going to see him. Gideon's afraid. And he's down there trying to do his job, and all of a sudden the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, God is with you, mighty warrior. And I can see Gideon probably just pop his head up. You know, look around. Did he say mighty warrior? You know, mighty warrior? You're not talking about me. Gideon's my name, but no, Gideon, I'm talking to you. In fact, God wants to use you. And I'm going to, chapter 6, 7, and 8, we're going to kind of compress here. You don't want me. Yes, I do. I'm afraid. I know. I still want you. Well, God, I hear you saying you want me, but I want to test you. And so not only does he get a clear call from God, but he has to test God to be sure that God's telling him what he's telling him. And once he passed the test, and Gideon says, I'm so afraid I need to test you yet again. And God doesn't zap him, but he passes the test in the area of the fleece, if you're familiar with the stories. Gideon finally says, I'm scared, God, but I'm going to go ahead and do this. God says, gather the armies. He gathers the men. Now what happens is the Midianite army is settled in the valley, a huge valley. It has to be a big valley because there's 135,000 Midianite people down there, men, tents, animals, related, weaponry. Okay, huge valley, 135,000. So Gideon gathers up the army, and he comes in, and then he finally does a count, and he goes, uh, 32,000. 135,000. 32,000. Not great odds. I mean, we might be able to pull it off, but I think he goes to talk, and he goes to talk to God and says, God, we got a numbers problem here. And God goes, you're right. You got too many men. Gideon says, what? That's not what I'm talking about. You got too many men. You got 32,000. You see, if you win with 32,000, even, you know, you're about four to one odds or so. People are still going to say, what a great warrior. But, you know, it makes sense. He says, too many. We got to pare it down. So he pares it down, and it comes down to 10,000. And, you know, Gideon's like, 10,000 to 135,000. God, this really doesn't work. And he says, you're right. You got too many men. 10,000, and eventually comes down to 300 men. Okay? 300 men against 135,000. Do they have any chance? None whatsoever. Fearful Gideon is like, I'm out of here. Except, you know what? God has called me, and he's proven himself to me that he's called me, and he's the one who has a plan. It ain't my plan, because it makes no sense. And on an earthly level, human level, I have exactly a zero percentage chance of survival. I might as well put my faith in God. I'm scared spitless, in a sense. But I'm going to put my faith in God. You know what strikes me as I prepared this message is I thought we always look at the leaders of these things. Think about the faith of the 300 men. They hadn't heard from God. They're just doing what that crazy, fearful leader dude's telling them to do, right? You know, faithful to call this guy. Well, again, long story short, you know, Gideon goes, God, you, I, I am scared, but I'm going to put my faith in you that you're going to use me in spite of my, oh, I'm kind of a hide in a wine press kind of dude, not a mighty warrior. God says, I got a plan. Gather up the weapons. He, what, you got a super laser cannon for me to use or something to take him out? He says, no, I got a torch. In fact, have all your guys get a torch and a trumpet and a clay pitcher. Excuse me? Well, that's going to make a difference. You know, hit someone over the head, one, and then run. Blowing your trumpet for, I don't know, scare people away. He, anyway, at nighttime, God calls, makes the call. He surrounds the Midianite armies, 135,000 with 300 men in three groups. They scatter around. They've got their torch. They've got their pitcher. They've got their trumpet. Break the pot. Ooh, that was scary. Lift your torch. Blow your trumpet. The Midianites break out of their tent middle of the night, and they panic. 
They fall into a panic and they slaughter each other, think they're being attacked by just gazillions of the enemy. And so 300 men stand at the top in the darkness so they can't see too well and realize there's a battle going down there and it doesn't involve us. And we're winning. The remaining Midianites hightail it out of there and all of a sudden Gideon finds himself with this huge army of 300 pursuing them and killing them along the way because they've thrown their weapons and they're just running for it. They are just running for it. We have an amazing story of getting through this process and, and we see that he was, as he was a fearful guy but he chooses to put his faith in God, his faith in God in spite of his fear and God uses him powerfully, powerfully in spite of that fear. So I have to pause for a moment and kind of honestly laugh at a guy like Gideon and say, God, you use Gideon. And uh, he's listed in Hebrews 11 as a man of great faith. You know, I could never be an Abraham. Kind of feel like I'm a bit of a Gideon. What about you? Do you ever have any fears in your life? Fears that just overwhelm you? Fears of sharing Jesus with someone? Fears of what your future might be? Fears of a relationship that seems to be falling apart? You don't know what to do? A fear of what the future might look like tomorrow, let alone next week? And on and on, God, I'm a fearful guy. And God says, I know. But it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. You can put your faith in me and I will use you powerfully. I will use you powerfully. Well, secondly, I can trust God. I, will tr- I can trust that God will use me even if I'm timid and insecure. Even if I'm timid and insecure. Now, this kind of goes along with fear, but it has a different flavor to it. And so this is the next name that's brought up here in, in uh, Hebrews 11. And this is a story of Barak. Okay, Barak, and his story is found in Judges 4 and 5. And now this one is probably not as well-known as Gideon. You may have never heard of, maybe really heard of him at all. In fact, he's not the judge at the time. A judge is kind of the military leader of Israel. He's not really a king. But in fact, I keep saying he. But honestly, at this time of, of, of life, now it's the Canaanites are beaten up on the Israelites because remember the cycle that they go through. They've turned their back on God, and God says, here we go again. Okay, Canaanites, come on in. And so the Canaanites are the ones that are kind of messing with with the army, with, with the Israel nation. And uh, at this time, as God's looking around for a man to be the judge, to be the kind of the military leader of the, of the country, uh, the whole nation, he can't find one to do it. And finally he goes, the most qualified person I see is Deborah, the woman. Now, I got to tell you, neither God nor I want to put women down. I'm married to one and I love them dearly, especially my wife. But in a patriarchal society, in a military time when they're looking for a military leader, to say that the best person to be the judge of the country or the most willing and able person is a woman is um, unbelievable. Hello, Israel. You just want to shake them and go, hey, guys, what are you doing? God says, you know what? Deborah's going to be it. So at this time with the Canaanites, God speaks to Deborah and says, call Barak in here, call him in here. And Barak comes in and talks to Deborah. And Deborah then says to to him and says, you know what? God says that he wants you to take 10,000 men to fight against the leader of the Canaanite army. Canaanite army. This is a guy named Sisera. Okay, who cares? Name is Sisera. And and, and he's going to give you the victory. And Barak's here going, okay, well, I've got faith in God. That sounds pretty good. Okay, now Sisera has a huge army. I know when God says take 10,000, it's nowhere near, it sounds familiar. It's nowhere near the size of this army. And not only that, but the Bible tells us that Sisera and the Canaanite army had iron chariots, okay? Israel barely had, you know, enough metal to make, you know, spears and swords and stuff like that. So this would be kind of similar like, okay, you've got, you know, modern day tanks and we've got foot soldiers. How's it looking? You know, really that's where it's at. But you know what? I'm going to have faith to do this. But, and he's talking to Deborah, and I almost just can see him kind of wilt. Um, Deborah, I'll go ahead and go, but I'll go if you'll go with me. 
Word for word, there in Judges, it says, I will go if you'll go with me. If you do not go with me, I will not go. What? <laughs> you little wimp. You namby-pamby dude. You know, this is the again, a woman wonderful, but it's like, this is Deborah. It's going to make a difference to have this woman come. Yeah, I'm kind of timid. I'm kind of insecure. But if she comes, she'll make me feel better. Holy cow. Anyway, I'm, I'm kind of projecting some feelings and thoughts on this, but you know, this is what's here. You know, I'll come if you come with me. Well, long story short, 10,000 men, big chariots come out. The problem with big iron chariots is when they're down on a plane and God sends a just out of nowhere huge storm and flood, <laughs> they're stuck. And the, the Israel, Israel army just routes them, just takes them out. I need to tell you this. When Barak tells Deborah, uh, please, you have to come with me. I won't go. Deborah says, I'm going to come with you. But because of your timidity, because of your insecurity, because of your, yes, you're showing faith, but because of this, the honor and the glory for the battle won't go to you. In fact, Sisera, the commander of the army, will be killed by a woman and not by you, and the glory will go to her and, of course, to Deborah as well. But let's get, let's get busy. And so off they go, and they slaughter the army. Sisera jumps out of his chariot because it's not moving. He runs for it. He gets out of there, and he gets chased, but he ends up hiding in a tent, and a woman agrees to hide him in her tent. And he hides under a rug and he falls asleep. And then this woman, story in Judges, takes a stake and drives it through his temples into the ground. And the Bible adds the following phrase, and it killed him. <laughs> and as I was reading and doing the study, and I ran across that and said, kind of an obvious one, but we just wanted to make sure it was clear. And so the notoriety and the fame and the glory went to God, but on a human level, it went to Deborah and it went to this other woman. And so although God used Barak and his faith in spite of his insecurity and timidity, he, it cost him a little bit too, didn't he? It cost him there. Well, we have to stop again and look at Barak and go, okay, this is a Hebrews 11 faith guy. I won't go unless the woman comes with me into battle. Then we have to ask ourselves, are you sometimes finding yourself timid and insecure? The truth is God wants to use you and your faith in him can overcome your insecurity and your timidity because God can use you no matter who you are or what you've done, right? Well, third, I can trust that God will use me even if I struggle with, here's the third one, self-control. Even if I struggle with self-control. Now, as I did, as I was preparing for today's message, I went, ah, this one kind of starts hitting, in fact, a lot of them hit me <laughs> in different ways. You know, but self-control can be an issue. Now, this is a story of Samson. The story of Samson that's found in Judges 13 through 16. Now, this is a guy, if you've heard of any of you, go, oh, yeah, Samson, that's that Samson and Delilah story. And Samson is a well-known character from the Old Testament, the man called by God to lead them to fight against the Philistines. How's it going, right? We, you know, we got the Midianites, we got the Canaanites, now we got the Philistines beating up on Israel. Because why? Because they've turned their back on God. So from birth, God says to, to Samson, to Samson's parents, he's going to be mine. This guy is mine. Don't ever cut his hair. You're going to make a vow. It's a sign. As he grows up, you're never going to cut his hair that he's committed to me, and I'm committed to him, and I'm going to lead him against the Philistines. And so they do that. He was a big guy, had tremendous strength and courage, unbelievable amounts of strength, and single-handedly, he just slaughtered thousands, thousands of Philistines over time. Big guy with tremendous strength, and he obeyed God's command to never cut his hair. That was a mark, again, of God's pledge to him. So most of us know Samson for his long hair, if you've heard of it, and the story of this pagan woman, Delilah. You know, she ends up 
you know, kind of deceives him and learns of the secret of his hair, and then at some point she cuts his hair off, and immediately his strength is gone, and he becomes a normal man. Philistine soldiers break in, grab him, they capture him, they gouge out his eyes, and it's an ugly ending almost to the very end of a beautiful story. Now we have to stop at Samson. If you read the chapters, you're going to see a man who does not have self-control again and again. Now we see it in the fact of his relationship with Delilah, but it didn't start there. He ran after pagan women, non-Israelite women, who worshipped idols again and again, including prostitutes. It's just what's there. He is a man, and we look and say, okay, so really what he has is sexual lust. He's a man of lust. Yeah, but you see his anger appear again and again and again too. You see lust and anger, lust and anger, lust and anger, and you're going, this is a guy who really trusts God, is afraid of nothing. In fact, at one point, he kills 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, we'll say. You know, the old scripture term for that. A thousand pe- that's more than people that are here with a bone, a big, you know, and he wasn't afraid. This is a man of great faith, and yet this is a man of unbelievable lack of self-control that led him into problem after problem up to the point of literally where he, he loses his vow, he loses his strength. He's captured, his eyes are gouged out, and, uh, gouged out. They parade him in front of the Philistines in a pagan temple, thousands and thousands of men and women there. Ah, this is the guy who... Da, 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 da. Samson's here in chains, saying, Lord, give me strength one more time. Puts his hands against the puts his hands against the support pillars of the temple, says, Lord, one more time, I will die with them and give me strength to destroy this temple. And he shoves it over. The entire temple comes down. And the Bible says he killed more Philistines that day when he died than he'd done in his entire time before that. And he actually had been leading the Israel army for several decades in, in battles against the Philistines. Now, here's the point. We see some amazing things that he does, going out in a blaze of glory, right? Tearing down these huge stone, this huge stone, this pagan temple around him. He was a man of courage and faith, killing thousands of Philistines, and yet Samson is deeply flawed, and you can't overlook that. You can't overlook those flaws, like most of us. Now, you may not be flawed like Samson is flawed. I understand that. But if you're honest and you look at yourself, you say, I kind of start seeing me. If I didn't see him in Gideon, I saw him in Barak. If I didn't see him in both of them, I see him in Samson, or maybe in all three. Here's a guy who just... I wish it was a story in a sense. I'm, I guess I'm glad it's not, but I could see it as a story where here's this Samson, he's got a lot of self-control problems, but God helps him get it under control and then God uses him mightily. It never happens. Up to his death point, he never overcomes his self-control issues. That's kind of sad. Does it give you some hope, though? Some of us are dealing with self-control issues. Man, I feel like I can't quite get it. And, oh, man, God will sure use me when I can conquer this. God will use you more when he empowers you to overcome it, but he's not waiting for you to overcome it, okay? Because you can have faith that God will use you no matter who you are or what you've done. And this story shows us. Well, finally, I can trust, number four, that God will use me even if I've made foolish choices. Even if I've made foolish choices. Now, the story here of the fourth person is even tough to read and, and, and stay out loud. The story of Jephthah. Jephthah, found in Judges 11 and 12. Now, we've heard of Samson, perhaps, but not so many of us, Jephthah. In fact, most of us don't even want to pronounce that name. John, you go ahead and say it. I'll write down capital J, period. You know, I'm going to abbreviate, right? Jephthah is a mighty warrior used by God to lead Israel to victory over the Ammonites. Yet another tribe of knights, and you know why they're there, right? Another ites group, because the people had wandered away from God. Boy, God is patient, isn't he? I'm happy about that. Another lesson here. Jephthah had faith that God would use him in battle, and God did. 
God did amazingly in just destroying the Ammonites in process. And again, it's a great story, a lot of intricacies in terms of his background and stuff. You can read it. But Jephthah also made an unbelievably foolish mistake. Right before the battle, right before the battle, he made a vow to God. This is the big battle that he wins victory over, and he's assured of victory of that. And he makes a vow to God, and he says, God, if you give me victory, if you help me, I will offer to you as a burnt offering the first thing that crosses my doorstep as I come home after the victory. He knows he's going to win. After the victory, when I come home, the first thing that comes off, I'll offer it to you as a burnt offering. Now, I'm like, what? I start thinking about this. Jephthah obviously thought that some animal would come greet him. You know, the dog, <gasps> you know, or a chicken or something would come out. I'll offer this as a burnt offering through this. But, but uh, I have to ask, why make the vow at all? The Bible says right before he makes this vow, I looked at it even this morning to be sure. It says right before that the spirit of the Lord had already come upon him. Okay, the spirit of the Lord had come upon him. He was assured of victory. He's moving ahead. And then he goes, hey, God. And then he makes just a crazy, whacked out, foolish decision. I'm like, what were you thinking? Do you ever ask yourself after the fact when you look back, what was I thinking? Honestly, him too. He's ready to go. God says, here we go. We're doing this together to victory. And then you do a, what was I thinking? Foolish decision. It was an unnecessary vow, an unnecessary foolish choice because after the major victory, he did indeed return home, as he knew he would, except it wasn't an animal that came across the doorstep first. He had one child, and it was a daughter, and she came dancing out in a celebration to come meet Daddy, victorious warrior, and, and his heart breaks. He's made a vow to God he feels he can't break, and he gives her two months to some various things that go on, but then Scripture tells us, and some scholars think, two different things, but most of them would agree that he fulfilled his vow, it says, and that he took her life. He sacrificed her. As heartbroken as he is, and it's, you know what? This is a tragic story all of a sudden. Faith is exercised. God, God works again. Major victory. Yay, we're free from those, you know, those horrible Ananites, you know, and, but this foolish choice, foolish choice taints the whole thing, not for the country, but for Jephthah, for him and for his family. And yet Jephthah ends up in Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith chapter, foolish choices and all. It's right there. <laughs> Again, in time when we find ourselves shaking our head, but then saying, and yet God is saying his response to God and his willingness to be used puts him smack dab here in the same chapter where we see Moses and Joseph and Abraham. So again, I asked you a minute ago, but have you ever made any foolish choices in your life? <laughs> okay, even today, right? I guess it's fairly early in the morning and you're at church, but... We all, we all have made foolish choices. Some may be more foolish than others. But I want to tell you this. Don't give up. Don't despair. You see, reading Jephthah's name here in Hebrews 11 tells us clearly that you can have faith that God can use you no matter who you are or what you've done, even if you made some major unbelievable foolish choices. Well, it's time to turn to your outline now to the next little line, and you look up at the slide to fill it in, but you'll see something kind of odd and that it's blank. Because we've looked at Gideon, we've looked at Barak, and we've looked at Samson, we've looked at Jephthah, and we've seen what their issues were. But I'm now going to ask you to talk to God about what's your issue? What's your thing of who you are, or what you've done, or a thing that's a part of you? I would say this. Can I have strength, and can I have courage and belief that God will use me even if I, what? I will choose to rely on him completely, even if I have this you, even if I have this in my past, even if I struggle with this, I encourage you to write this down. None of you wrote down any strong things, did you? Right? I didn't ask you to do that. 
We wrote down those things where we need God's strength, right? Where we can put faith in God to overcome and to use me. Hopefully to overcome those things, we don't have to be a Samson and have self-control issues our whole life. And some of those other things fear our whole life. But we don't have to wait either. We can put our faith in God right today and have faith that he'll use us in spite of who I am, in spite of what I've done. Would you pray with me? Father, we've wrapped up this, this series on faith looking at some um, really flawed people. And God, I just got to be honest, that's an encouragement to me today. Um, sometimes it's great to see these huge heroes of faith that just have it all, seem to have so much of it all together, and they did, have done such great things. I feel it's untouchable for me, and yet then I see some people that struggle with fear and insecurity and timidity, with self-control issues, with making bad choices, foolish choices, God. And I realize that's me. And yet, God, you say, for each one of us, you can come into the arena of faith. You can exercise the faith. You can become a Hebrews 11 faith warrior because it isn't the pot, Lord. It's not us, the vessel. It's the treasure inside that's found in Jesus. Lord, we love you. We ask that you fill us and use us today and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.